0: This morning I get a second chance to try to complete the book of Ezekiel. I tried real hard last week, but obviously failed miserably. So, no? (laughs) You didn't know it? But back in the book of Ezekiel, focus on God's glory, something that is our life purpose. Our life purpose is to glorify God. And as we walk in Him, He shines through and allows something of his character to shine through in the way that we live and the way that we treat one another. So Ezekiel is a good book because that is a focus of the book. And today what I'd like to do is complete our overview and then we'll focus on some passages that I think are very, very relevant to the overall series that we're doing. We'll Eventually get into the Olivet Discourse. So Ezekiel kind of lays a groundwork and sets a stage for what we'll do in the Olivet Discourse. Foundations of that. Just to give you, give you a little context. The book is written during the exile. I mentioned that this is at the end of Israel's history in the Old Testament in terms of them as a nation. Now they will be restored on a limited basis in order to prepare for what the Old Testament anticipates. In fact, if you want to understand the whole Old Testament, who can summarize the whole Old Testament in a phrase or a sentence? Very good. I would, I would agree wholeheartedly. Whole Old Testament, preparation for Messiah. Or if you want just two words, anticipation of Messiah. Is that two words?
1: Oh. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right.
0: We got it. So this is a dark period of time in Israel's history. They cease to exist as a nation, and they are partly restored until Messiah comes. And then in 70 A.D., they are totally obliterated again and scattered throughout the known world. So that kind of gives you a context, and Ezekiel not only predicts a lot of the judgment that is going to come, in fact I'll review that, on Israel, but also on the nations, and we're going to look in our concluding part of the overview on the optimistic part of the book. So the book is written during the exile somewhere, oh, 570, somewhere in that time frame, B.C., we saw the preparation of the prophet. I separated that out as a division. First three chapters. We spent most of our overview last time looking at the prophecies of judgment. The negative portion of the book is chapter four through thirty-two and The focus is judgment on Judah, so that they are absolutely clear why they are in exile and what God is doing. They are in exile because of their idolatry, because of their abandonment of the one true God, the Creator God. So that's explained in a lengthy portion of Ezekiel 4-32, through and if you want the whole book on one slide, this... Lavender coverage slide here. Verse 24 chapters downward because it's all judgment. <laughs> judgment of Judah. We have a commission of Ezekiel in the chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. And another theme there is the glory of God departs. We looked at those verses that indicate the departure of the glory of God. So this is dark period of time. The glory of God is missing. God is bringing judgment on Israel. And not only Judah, but God is going to bring judgment on the nations. Israel has been plagued by invasion, by the relationship with the surrounding nations throughout their history, even starting with their even beginning in Egypt. God does not forget that. God is a just God and God will deal with mankind based on his justice and actually based on his glory, all of his attributes, because he knows all things. He's omniscient, so he knows the motives of all, including collective groups like the nations. So the nations are the focus of 25 through 32. To add to our slide here, Judgment of the Nations... Kind of a transition in the book of Ezekiel. And I'll get back to the last part in a moment here. Third major division of the book is the last part from uh, 33 to 48. 33 to the end of the book, which is chapter 48. And immediately, it's a very positive part. God has not abandoned his people. He never does. He deals with sin. He deals with our unfaithfulness. But once we have come into a relationship with him, once we are born again, that's a New Testament concept, and certainly once God called his people as a nation and entered into covenant with them, and when we say a covenant, we're talking about a contract. God entered into contract with his people Once that is effected, he keeps his end of the contract. His end of the contract is he will never abandon his people. So what we have in Ezekiel is God disciplining his people. And I mentioned last time, there's an application there. If we go into unfaithfulness in an extended period of time and know better, God can intervene in our lives and bring discipline as well. But he never abandons us. I believe in the doctrine of eternal security, and you have the foundation of it in the Old Testament in the way that God deals with Israel. So we have restoration, and this is promised. Now this is years in the future, but throughout Israel's history after Ezekiel, they have these prophecies that they can anticipate and think in terms of how is God going to bring all these things about. And their hope is for the coming of a Messiah. But when he arrived, Israel was totally unprepared for Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah. And they crucified him. And I think as a result, the 70 AD judgment was because they rejected their Messiah. And they have been scattered. But God was not through with his plan. He instituted a church age in anticipation of his return. That return will precede a future period when a lot of these passages will come into fulfillment. So, verse, chapters 33-39 deal with the restoration of Israel. Ezekiel is appointed as a watchman in order to... A, a watchman warns the people. So he's warning them concerning the judgment, but he's also alerting them to what God desires from his people. We have a passage on the shepherds of Israel, and they have been unfaithful, and he desires faithful shepherds. Let's read 34:25 uh, through 27. Somebody want to read? And I have several of you read, so be prepared. Connie, we want to start off with the first one. In fact, who wants to do 36? Okay, Dave. And somebody else in 36, I'm going to have a couple passages in there. Mary Lee. And why don't you do thirty-seven, turn to thirty-seven? Read thirty-four, Connie. twenty-five through twenty-seven.
1: I will make a covenant in peace with them cause wild beasts to cease the land, and they will dwell on the mist and sleep in the wood. Them at the full round of blessing. Showers come down their season shall be showers of blessing. The trees and fields shall will their fruit. Okay. Blessing is promised.
0: Now, we didn't read the total context, but if you look up the context, the preceding passages, this is in that future period of time when God is restoring the nation. And we have a little detail concerning what that's going to look like. Now, obviously, that has never been fulfilled in the history of the nation of Israel, so it's yet future from our time. We can be assured of that. Because there's already been lots of prophecies that God has fulfilled to give assurance that when he promises something, he will, in fact, follow through. In fact, that's what the covenants are all about. So, that's an encouraging passage. And notice that it even will affect the natural realm as well. God brings productivity blessing from the natural realm. So, this anticipates... Actually, an entire change in the entire economy of the universe, actually, which is yet future from our time. The New Testament discusses a little bit of that, and we'll see that in the Olivet Discourse. Chapter 36, Dave, you want to read verse 8, and then I'll have you skip to verse 12. But ye, o mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches, and yield your fruits to my people of Israel, they are an end to come. Okay, and that's is after the context of prophecies dealing with the nations. That's from 35 to 36.7. And God somewhat reminds them. He's already talked about the judgment of the nations, so he repeats some of that. This will be part of encouragement to the nation of Israel. So this whole section is encouragement, because they've been plagued by these peoples, and these peoples have, in fact, Inflicted great damage to the nation of Israel. God is going to deal with them. So this is part of the encouragement. And then the prophecies dealing with Israel in thirty-six, and essentially what uh, Dave read is more blessings or more restoration, more details. Skip to verse twelve. Yes, I will cause men to walk upon you, even my people of Israel. This is upon the land, so they will be restored to the land. Okay. They shall possess thee, and thou shalt be their inheritance. And thou shalt no more henceforth. He personifies the land of Israel. Almost as if he's talking to the land, but he's actually giving a prophecy. Now, you might say, why doesn't he speak to the children of Israel? Well, the land is an important element of the Abrahamic covenant, and God personifies it in order that the children of Israel will realize that really what God is doing, in fact, another verse that we'll look at, God is doing it for his sake, and his promise's sake, his covenant's sake. Let's look at 3622. Who's got that one?
1: Mary Lee? Therefore, saints of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, there not it not is. Israel, but for my holy name's sake, the the nations to reach you with.
0: Keep reading, read to
1: 24. I vindicate the holiness of my great name separate for its holy purpose from all that defiles it. My name which has been named among your nations, which you have profaned among them. And these nations will know, understand, and realize that I am the Lord, the sovereign ruler who calls for loyalty and obedient service. When I shall be set apart by you and my holiness vindicated their eyes and words. for I will take you from nations and gather you out of all countries and bring
0: you unto your okay has God ever done that in the nation of Israel Well only on a limited basis but not to the extent that we have here but notice in this context it gives us explanation as to what God is doing. He has a bigger plan than even the nation of Israel. He has a plan that extends to all peoples, and what God is doing, this is another little passage that tells us, without using the word glory, that God's main purpose for all of the universe is to bring glory to himself. And what he's doing, even though he is judging the nation of Israel, the nations might think, well, God had this plan, it's kind of gone awry. The nation of Israel has been unfaithful. Everything is just ruined and nothing's going to fulfill itself in terms of what God had in terms of this plan. God's plan has failed. And what he's demonstrating is that there's going to come a time of restoration and all the world is going to see his sovereign hand and we'll be able to see the glory of God. In other words, they will see something of who he is. He is one that is faithful to his word. He's one that is going to defend his word, defend his honor. This is a glimpse of the plan of God. And that plan even involves the nations. The nations are going to see that. You see that in the passage? So Ezekiel explains kind of the big picture here. So we have the cleansing of Israel in this passage. And we have a very important element in the next passage. Let's keep reading. Who's got that one? You wanna do uh, 20, pick up where she left off, uh, read through 28. 25 through 28, this is chapter
1: 36. What is
0: that? What, what is he talking about here in this context? Unbelief. Unbelief, but what? Well, yeah. I'm getting at kind of what I started off with, covenants. New covenant. covenant. This is the new covenant. Jeremiah introduces us to a new covenant. The new covenant is with the nation of Israel, Jeremiah tells us. In fact, it's with the house of Judah and the house of Israel, because they're split. But it's with the nation of Israel, the new covenant. This is the last covenant of the Old Testament. And covenants are extremely important. Regeneration is part of the New Covenant. God putting his word within man's heart, part of the New Covenant. Jeremiah and Ezekiel give us the most detail of any book of the Old Testament on the New Covenant. In fact, Ezekiel probably has more In number, passages dealing with the New Covenant, this is one of them. You see that? Keep reading. Okay, indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Is that part of Old Testament pneumatology, if you will, or does God, did God do that in the Old Testament? No, and yes, on a limited basis. Not indwelling. Mm, Hmm, well, not long term, not permanent indwelling, very good, okay, very good. Kings, prophets, others on some occasion, and sometimes on a limited basis, had this presence of the Holy Spirit, this indwelling presence. But in some cases, if they became unfaithful, what happened? Saul is an example that the Holy Spirit was removed. The New Covenant specifies that everyone, now it doesn't say everyone, but we know that from the New Testament, everyone that receives an indwelling presence, and only those that know Jesus Christ receive it, this is the New Testament, they have the indwelling, permanent presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the New Covenant. We benefit from the New Covenant, but the Covenant is not with us, not with the Church. It's with Israel. So this looks at a future era in the nation of Israel, and the only reason we benefit from the new covenant is why? We've been grafted in. We've been grafted in, but also because we have a relationship with Israel's Messiah. We have trusted in Israel's Messiah, and we know him, and in that relationship... We have been granted benefits, almost like a foretaste, until the time that God restores the nation of Israel, and then the new covenant will apply to them, because they are parties to the covenant. Make sense?
1: Would that be like the the crumbs that fall from the the children's table?
0: Absolutely. 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 So we have the cleansing of Israel. Keep reading the passage. Benny, you want to finish the passage here? Read it to verse 30. Okay, an end to their troubles with the nations, an end to something of the economy in which we live in, in terms of nature. So this passage is fulfilled when? Millennial Kingdom, which is yet future. We'll talk about that. So we have the cleansing of Israel. And just to kind of summarize, Israel's history, this is from eternity to eternity, and I've mentioned several times, world history, actually, the essence of it is biblical history, and there's no event in world history more important than all of the events that we have, the major events of Bible history. So we have the origin of Israel, that's at the heart of everything God is doing, and that's the book of Genesis. We have their emergence, that's Exodus through Judges, where they emerge as a nation, and then God intends that they rule over the earth. In fact, that's the initial purpose that he lays out in Genesis 1.28, and they rule as a kingdom. They were the world empire during that period of time, David and Solomon, but they fell into idolatry, declined, and the kingdom was destroyed, this is a thumbnail sketch, world history here, from eternity to eternity. Look in your UNM World History book and see if you have an eternity to eternity world history. There's a times of the Gentiles. That's a phrase that Jesus uses in Luke 21, 13, I believe. Times of the Gentiles where Gentiles dominate world history. Israel is secondary. In fact, Israel is set aside most of that period of time. And preceding our generation, they were set aside entirely, scattered throughout the world. God is going to restore them, and in fact, there's going to be a kingdom. That's where the future kingdom comes, after the Messiah returns. So there's a thumbnail sketch of world history from eternity to eternity. So we have the prophecies of Israel, cleansing of Israel, a restoration of Israel, and let's start by reading chapter 37, verse 1. Who's got that one? Got some. You were supposed to do that one, yeah. You jumped ahead. Uh, just start verse 1. The hand of Jehovah was upon me, and he brought me out of the spirit of Jehovah, and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Full of bones. Let's take a look at this passage. This is the vision of the dry bones. And I should have shown this slide here just to kind of complete our total look of Ezekiel. The overview, and we'll be looking at some of these passages, we'll come back to this. But this is all of Ezekiel in one slide. From 33 to 48, Restoration of Judah. We have a second commission of Ezekiel, where he's called as a watchman. And the glory of God returns. This is how the book ends. So there's something of a summary of the major themes of the whole book of Ezekiel on one slide. You like those one-slide summaries, right? Okay. Okay, let's talk about the regathering of the nation of Israel. Connie?
1: was
0: No, Israel. He's dealing with Judah because Judah was the last part of the nation. Yeah, it's Israel. Let's take a look at the regathering. First thing to note... From Ezekiel and all of the prophets, this is a divine work. It's not something that man can do. In fact, you could view the restoration of Israel as a miraculous work. Very definitely a miraculous work. And I'll give you some reasons for that in a moment. So it's a divine work. That's the starting point. God uses divine instruments. And there's some passages in Ezekiel. We won't look at them. But there's other passages in the other prophets that speak of God using divine instruments. In other words, he will use the nations, he will use Gentiles. And if you were watching world history around the time of the early 1900s leading up to World War II, the events of World War II, you could see how God was aligning nations even back then to work a divine work to set in motion events that would lead to the beginning of the restoration of Israel. And we've been privileged in our generation, and most of you except our, our kids were born before a certain date, that you we have seen what God has done. We probably didn't notice it, but Israel was regathered, and this is just a shot of Military, uh, kind of signify the, the instruments that God used. He used Great Britain, He used the United States, He used other nations to set things in place for the regathering of God's people back in the land of Israel. Let's talk a little bit about this regathering and let's look at the details of this, this vision. Let me, for the sake of time, just summarize, and then we'll look at the, the interpretation. But let's read further in, and then I'll start summarizing. Read uh, through verse three, and then I'll have uh, Linda read some of the verses.: And he caused me to pass by ground about. This valley of these dry bones. In fact, if you want a visual look at it. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And oh, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, Jehovah, thou knowest. Okay, he's not committed here. (laughs) He doesn't say absolutely. (laughs) Because he knows of Israel's hopeless condition. There's nothing that Israel can do to restore itself. The land of Israel has been devastated by judgment. Temple destroyed. The glory is gone, the nations are increasing in power, most of the nation of Israel has died as a result, the others are scattered throughout the nations, and the image that Ezekiel is given is given as this valley of dry bones. question is asked, take a look at these bones, Ezekiel, can they come back to life? Actual answer is no, I mean, there's no way. Israel is hopeless in his condition, hopelessly lost. So it's going to take a divine work. But he's noncommittal in that uh, he's talk, God is asking him, and he knows that God can do all things. So we have a, a regathering of Israel. And let's read. This is uh, in Ezekiel's time when the situation is hopeless. No, I think he's seeing a vision that portrays their hopelessness at that time. Now, he's going to project ahead. The restoration is looking ahead. Does that make sense? Did that confuse anyone there? In other words, in the exile, all the way until God begins a work of restoration, that was Israel's condition, a hopeless condition. Only God can regather those bones. Now the vision that he sees here is a vision of these bones coming out of graves, taking on flesh, animated life, and... In fact, indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the vision. But it's in stages. Let's skip to verse 11 where we have the interpretation. Linda, do you want to read 11 and 12, first of all? Okay, he's interpreting the vision. What do the bones represent? Very clearly. Whole house of Israel. There's Israel for you, Connie. Keep reading. Our bones represent. Okay, and that's their condition. Completely cut off. Keep reading. There's a promise. Now this does not, this does not refer to that regathering in the Old Testament. Ultimately this looks ahead. Alright? You want to keep reading? Read 13 and 14. And that's the purpose. To reveal the glory of God. They will know that this is a divine work, and only God can do it, and they will know that he has done it. The land of Israel. Okay. He is going to give life to that that is dried up bones. And that's a vision that I believe took place, or the beginnings of it took place, in 1948, in our generation. This is an absolute miracle. Never has there been a people that have been displaced from their land, even a short period of time, be able to return to their homeland in the way that the nation of Israel did. They maintained for 2,000 years the Jewish bloodline. They maintained for 2,000 years their heritage. And I think part of the reason that they've been persecuted all through their history, these 2,000 years, is that God kept them separate from the rest of the people in order to maintain a bloodline, in order to maintain their heritage, in order to maintain their Hebrew language. No nation has ever experienced this. 2,000 years. And not only that, their culture and their basically their Judaism, their Old Testament commitment, you might say. No nation has ever experienced that. Only the nation of Israel, they returned in uh, May 14, 1948. They returned to Israel, a wasteland under the Arabs. Israel had become a desert. It had become a wasteland. Today is one of the most productive pieces of property on all of the face of the earth. They're the biggest exporter in the Middle East, and there's many things that God has done through the nation of Israel. And this photograph, this this aerial of uh, Tel Aviv, just kind of gives you a sense of what the nation of Israel has done in a very short period of time. They are a miracle of God. This is the beginning, in 1948, the beginning of God setting the stage for the last phase here. The last phase will not take place until the future. Remember I told you about Jewish eschatology. They failed. God disciplined them. There's going to be a period, the prophets speak of a period of tribulation preceding the Messiah. This is Jewish eschatology. Thirdly, God... During that seven-year tribulation, God will restore them. Ezekiel is describing part of that period of time. Now, what we are seeing is God setting the stage for the final part of their restoration. They are in the land now, not in a spiritual state. They have not been regathered spiritually. They've been regathered as a nation, physically, Culturally, religiously, politically you might say, they await the time of the tribulation when God will continue that work and in fact put his spirit within them and begin the fulfillment of the new covenant that will extend into the millennial kingdom. So Israel's regeneration is yet future. Their physical regathering, I think, is a fulfillment of Ezekiel 37. And it's during this period of time, which is seven years, if we look at where we at, we stand today, we don't know the time between another event that the Bible predicts, the New Testament predicts a rapture of the church. There may be an interval, that's not a mistake, the misalignment of the arrows there with the beginning of that seven year period. There may be a period of time in between, in fact, some scholars look at some events that we'll look at in a moment here, between the rapture and the tribulation. But it's during that seven-year period in the future, after the church is gone, that God is going to begin, or not begin, but continue a work amongst the nation of Israel once again. They are going to be at the center of what God is doing. And then Messiah will come, that's the second coming of Messiah, and he will establish a kingdom, some of which is predicted here in Ezekiel. Right. Yes.
1: You're saying You're
0: getting it right. Yeah, I their condition. In other words, let me try and summarize it again. Their condition at the time that Ezekiel is writing is totally hopeless. They're in exile. And they never come out of that hopeless condition because even when Messiah comes, they reject him. And then they're scattered again in 70 AD. So they certainly, in 70 AD, after they're scattered again, they're in that same hopeless condition, scattered throughout the nations. God brings them out of the nation. He interprets this vision. The graves represent the nations. The Gentile nations, God brings them out But, now this would not be clear to Israel in the Old Testament, but from our perspective, from our vantage point of knowing what happened in the New Testament, we have the advantage of further revelation, which the the Olivet Discourse is going to give us some more detail. Okay, So the Olivet Discourse sets the stage for the rest, and the rest has to be fulfilled after 90 A.D., and 1948, I think, was the beginning of the fulfillment of the regathering, physically, of the nation of Israel. And after that restoration, Messiah will arrive.
1: So what do we have right now? Kind of, a verse 8, a look, and there's cities upon the bones and flesh, cover them, but there's no breath of spirit in it. that's So that's where we are right now. Right
0: now. Exactly. Everybody get that? Verse 8. They do not have... They don't have the spiritual regeneration, that aspect of the restoration. They have the physical aspect. In other words, they're alive, they're a nation, they're a people, they're a culture. They're anticipating some of some of them are atheists. Some of them are anticipating Messiah. Two extremes. What
1: about the ones who have a family
0: of They're in the church. They join to go
1: back oh, Okay.
0: Those in our time are part of the church. Jewish people that trusted in Messiah today. They're fulfilled Jews. Okay, so that's that prophecy. Let's look at the next one in the time that we have remaining. Prophecies of Gog and Magog. Let's look at chapter 38. Who wants to read the first three verses there? All right, why don't you read those, Dave? The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of... Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against them. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O God, chief prince of Meshach, and Tubal. Okay, what we have, first of all, is we're introduced to these strange peoples, Gog and Magog. Okay? And they are somewhat strange to us, and it's interesting that Gog and Magog are mentioned even at the very end here. But that's another discussion there. We won't go off on that tangent. But, notice, God is against them. But, he's going to use them, and he's going to allow them certain latitude, and they are going to be involved in an invasion. Now, we won't read those verses, but skip to 5 and 6. Read those as well, David. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, and all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Tudarmah in the north quarters, is bad. And many people. Okay. Now we have these peoples that we are very unfamiliar with. Okay? Now, at the Chaper Conference, a man by the name of Andy Woods gave a paper on this passage, and I'm going to summarize some of what he did there. And he did a lot of research to try to identify who are these peoples that are mentioned here. And I'm going to give you the results of his study. I won't have time to give you the reasoning behind it. But he did some good work there. The reason this is important is because if Israel is in the land and this invasion takes place, this is another prophecy, it's got to take place within the context of Israel in the land. And there are some commentators that believe that this could take place even before the rapture in our era. But probably a better view is that it takes place in the tribulation. If I have time, we'll summarize some of the different views. So let's take a look at this. So first of all, God is against Gog, verses 1 through 6. Now, let's take a look at these participants. And the reason this is relevant is because we see these alignments forming today. Read your newspaper. This is the product of Andy Wood's research. Magog would be a region of Central Asia. I'm going to show you a map with some specific nations that exist today. No, Central, no, not China. This is Central Near East, if you will. I'll show you a map. There's Rosh, which probably most obviously is a reference to Russia. Now, keep in mind, these nations were the nations that existed in Ezekiel's day. So he's describing these nations. But in the case of some of these peoples, the descendants live all the way to our time or at least occupy the same geographical regions. All right? Obviously, Russia is becoming more influential in the Middle East today. And so are these other Central Asia nations that I'll show you in a moment. There's a whole list of them. In fact, the stands, Uzbekistan, Afghanistan, forget about it, Stan, you know, I'll, I'll get it. All
1: right.
0: Meshach and Tubal. That would be eastern Turkey. I think that's mainly Cappadocia. Yeah, the Cappadocian area, if you know where that is. That's eastern Turkey. Persia is Iran. And some of the descendants of Iranians go back to Persian time. Is Iran a player today? Is eastern Turkey a player today? These nations are going to align, and they're going to invade Israel somewhere in the future. It's never happened before. How about Ethiopia, which would be either Ethiopia or Sudan today, Sudan area? They're mentioned is Libya. In fact, your translation translates it, the one uh, that Dave read. Libya. Now, Libya has kind of been set on the sidelines a little bit, but Libya has been a player, and at this time, it will align with these other nations, and they will invade. Gomer, the Galatian area, he traces it to Galatia, so it's southeast Turkey. And the last one is Toktogarmah, which is Also Turkey, and if you're familiar with the book of Acts, Phrygia, that would be south-central Turkey. Anybody get that before I flash the... All of these countries today not only exist, but will form an alliance. Some of them, right before our eyes, isn't Russia and Iran talking? Isn't Russia and all of Turkey talking today? Aligning even Sudan, okay, Libya. Most of these are Arab countries aligning with the Russian peoples. Here's your Mac. And by the way, this is out of Andy Wood's presentation. So there's the Magog over there. Was it? Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan. Can't even pronounce the other stands. Turkmenistan. You could include Afghanistan there, and then there's Persia. These nations are gonna align, and the invasion that we have in 38 is a description of that invasion in some future period of time. I can show you that map later. By the way, all of this will be on the website. So God is against Gog. Now there's preparation of war, 38, 7 through 9. We won't read that. We have motivation for this war, verses 10 through 13. And the, the motivation Number one, and it's stated uh, you can just jot this down for time. In fact, let's read it. Thirty-eight ten. Who wants to do that one? You got it? Thus says the Lord God,
1: when we will come about on that day to talk to
0: you life, and talk about the first time. Okay, now he's addressing these nations. You will have these evil thoughts in your mind, these this alliance. Keep reading. And you will say, I will go up against the land of all villages, those who I guess securely. Okay. What's the motivation there? What are these evil thoughts? Anti Semitism. Isn't this the central thing of Muslim nations or Arab nations? Anti Semitism. Also read verse 12. Capture spoil and seek thunder, turn your hand against the mouth and against the people who are nations. Okay, what's. That's far enough. What's the motivation, a second motivation? It's wealth. There's wealth. And I've been hearing lately that they're discovering oil in the Mediterranean, oil in the Golan Heights, and reserves that are so abundant that they're going to be very attractive to these nations. So wealth. And if you just bring about the wealth that's contained in the Dead Sea, there's billions of dollars of minerals that are there. They are the breadbasket of the Near East. And this has only come about in the last, what, 50 years here. So that's the motivation for war. Then we have the invasion, 14 through 16. Now, we don't have time to look at different views. There's a view that this has already been fulfilled. That's the Preterist view. Some hold to a beginning of the millennial view. And by the way, if you want this paper by Andy Woods, I can make it available to you. And he lists all of these and gives reasons why these are not viable. The end of the millennium, and the only reason for that is because Gog and Magog appear again, but everything's different. The Battle of Armageddon, I think that's a separate and a distinct battle, and the details just don't fit the Ezekiel 38. Before the Tribulation, some believe before the Rapture, or maybe between the Rapture and the Tribulation, this is probably a better, far better view, the first half of the tribulation. Andy Woods proposes, well, he's not the originator of it, but he says that first half, it begins. And then his view is that there's a two-phase view that the judgment part comes at the end of the tribulation. And that's probably the better view. But the point that we need to note is that just as God has regathered the nation of Israel in the land, he is beginning this whole process of end times events. Now, not a lot of them are fulfilled in the church age. The one that is, I think, is the Ezekiel 37 one, where Israel is in the land today. The setting may be set. We may be close to the next stages of what God Is doing. So during this tribulation, starting at the beginning and probably a second phase, the judgment part of these nations, God's going to judge them at the end. That's probably the time frame. And you can read chapter 39, it continues as well. Major events we have the invasion, we have divine judgment on this alliance, and it's supernatural. God brings supernatural hail and other physical phenomenon. And there's going to be this great feast, and this is probably the reason some see Armageddon, because there's this great feast at the end there. Seven year of burning of their weapons, which is an interesting detail. Seven months of burying the dead. So this is a major invasion, probably during that tribulation period. And it's going to stimulate... Probably Israel's restoration. That's Hinadat. In fact, uh, who's got that one? Let's read that one. 39.22. Go ahead, Dave. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day and forward. From that day on forward. This may be what leads the nation of Israel into their spiritual regeneration. Their spiritual regathering. Okay. And then the book basically ends with the temple in the millennium, chapters 40 through 48. We have visions of the restored temple, and then we have worship in the temple, 43 through 46. We have visions of the land. So there's going to be a restored temple. This is the most extensive passage in all the Bible on the temple itself, except maybe the Solomonic temple, but certainly the restored temple in the millennial kingdom. Okay, we need to rescue as many as we can because time may be short. Who wants to close?
1: Success. We finished. <laughs> Anyone? Go ahead. Father, we thank you think to that you have shown us what you are going to do. not given us a great deal any more than gives a whole child a deal about upcoming family events. Father, maybe with this, as if we fully believe it. May we live out our days and fully believe. and do our work right about a, a miracle so great that we can scarcely move. Participants with you, rather than bystanders or in, indifferent to what you doing in these times that you have brought to us. Great praise and honor. Restoration of your people, we look forward to the plating of the Messiah. We look forward to the fulfillment of all events. And even now, we desire to praise, honor, and glory to your name. We want to praise your senses. Amen. Amen.